thank you very much for choosing to join me this afternoon for our latest CAT Cafe session. Um, today's topic is the last one in our discussion of lower urinary tract disease in cats and focusing on what I've chosen to call a toileting accident and I'll explain what I mean by that term and some of the other terms in just a moment. So as with other presentations that I've given if you would like a copy of the slides you're very welcome to request them either via the chat box or just send an email to uh, info at vetprofessionals.com and we'll send those through to you. Oops, losing control of my Zoom as per usual. So here is the plan for today. We're going to talk about uh, some of the terminology and uh, what the toileting accident is, what some of those other terms are. Um, we're also going to focus on reasons behind this and really trying to put ourselves in the mind of our cat, who is not intentionally trying to make our life difficult, as you would, I'm sure, understand. But we want to understand, well, why aren't they using the litter box or the garden, which might be their their standard place for passing urine or feces. Why are they passing them in these locations that are unsuitable from our perspective? And then of course focus on how a vet approaches uh, advising on these situations and I would really encourage you if you are experiencing toileting problems in your cats to very much involve your vet clinic with discussion and care of your cat because as you'll see there are some medical reasons um, that can very specifically be treated but also there are very general tips which I'll include in this presentation which might be helpful for perhaps what I might loosely call the behavioural causes of inappropriate, uh, well passing uh, urine and faeces in inappropriate locations. So firstly, let's look at some of those terms. So what is a toileting accident? What do I mean by that? Well, we're talking about really probably a better term to use would be house soiling, which means where urine or feces or both are passed inside the house and not within a litter tray or suitable cat toilet. So I've already fallen into, into this trap of using the words inappropriate um, in terms of the, the terminology. As you'll see from this slide, we should avoid that. So I've, I've old habits die hard uh, with me too, but the term inappropriate urination, which was often used in the past, is really not thought to be a very correct term because really from the cat's perspective, it's not an inappropriate location. Just unfortunately the case that to, from our perspective, the location location the cat has chosen doesn't suit us. So again, it comes down to understanding why might the cat choose to, for example, urinate on the hall carpet or on our bed, for example. So if possible, uh, like me, try and avoid using that word inappropriate uh, associated with toileting accidents. House soiling is probably a better general term. And another couple of definitions which are useful to introduce at this point, one would be spraying or marking behaviour and you will I'm sure have heard of this if not having experienced it in your household or, or elsewhere. Um, but this is where typically small volumes of urine are passed by the cat often with them in a very upright position, so not squatting in the typical urination position. And the purpose of spraying out these small amounts of urine or relatively small amounts of urine compared to a, a normal pee is part of scent marking and communication with other cats. So very typically this often would involve entire male cats territory marking, for example. 
but these are generalizations uh, and actually some cats scent marking will pass very large volumes of urine um, and uh, that can be of course very difficult to live with if it, that happens to be within your house um, but another term that I want to introduce at this point which it's important to differentiate from that scent marking process is the, the vet term periuria and periuria would in the past have been defined as inappropriate urination so that inappropriate word come back there again but we're trying to avoid that now because it's really not inappropriate from the cat's perspective just from our perspective but periuria describes the cat typically having a normal posture for urination and passing sometimes a small volume of urine if they have for example cystitis lower urinary tract disease but sometimes passing a normal volume of urine for example if there is another reason we'll come into in a moment for them not using their normal and what we would call appropriate toilet uh, to pass their urine. Um, and often in association with normal urination, cats will try and cover whatever they pass, urine or feces. There's often a little bit of that that goes on. So if you're wondering which of the two is going on, these, these clues can help you to determine whether or not your cat may be scent marking, which, as I've said, more likely in, in territorial behaviour versus periuria, which would be more likely with a cat with lower urinary tract problems. So why might this happen? Why might a cat be choosing to pass their urine? And so we're focusing on the periuria here in uh, what we would call an unacceptable location. So outside the litter box. Well, this slide summarizes the most important reasons. And you'll see there are a mixture here of what I would call medical reasons, which include, for example, the cat that has lower urinary tract disease, the cat with cystitis, for example, where urination is very painful, there is urgency associated with it. So the cat feels a desperate need to go to the loo. And if they're unable to make it to their litter tray in time, they may squat and pass urine on the carpet on the bed or whatever so that would be the first important reason and any cause of lower urinary tract disease whether that's idiopathic cystitis or bladder stone uh, could result in this as one of the clinical signs Next on the list, we've got osteoarthritis, which I'm going to talk a bit about next month in our uh, senior cat series that is the next uh, cat cafe series. And this is the situation whereby a cat may be suffering from pain and mobility problems, and that is unfortunately affecting their ability to move around. And therefore, if the litter box, let's say, is downstairs and the cat likes spending time upstairs on, on uh, beds or cushions, having its sleep, then actually it may just decide I'm just too sore to go to the litter tray I'm going to find an alternative location to go and this duvet seems like a good place to go so that would be the next reason um, and similarly for those cats that normally go outside using a cat flap can become quite challenging if you have arthritis and that might be another reason for a toileting accident Next on the list, we've got illnesses associated with an increased thirst and an increased volume of urine produced. So illnesses including chronic kidney disease, hypothyroidism, diabetes mellitus, for example. These cats often are very thirsty and they pass a lot of urine. So again, if perhaps it's the litter tray is a long way away or the cat also has arthritis or it normally goes outside, but the house is quite big, it can't quite get there in time. That might be reasons why having a toileting act accident might happen. 
Next on the list, I've got uh, feline cognitive dysfunction syndrome. This is another topic I'm going to talk about next month in the cat cafe. So this is our cat equivalent of Alzheimer's disease, the cat suffering from dementia, forgetfulness being one manifestation of that, and also loss of trained behavior. So the cat just might forget, well, what is a litter box? Where is my litter box? And just looks around and thinks, well, yeah, this looks like an okay place to go for now. That's where I'm, I'm going to pee. Being trapped in a house without a litter box, without being able to get outside would be another, I think, reasonable reason for a cat to pass urine out outside their litter box. Um, and lastly, we've got other uh, behavioural or environmental stresses, which uh, we'll come back to in just a moment, that reasons why perhaps a cat might not uh, want to use its litter box if that's available. Feces passed outside the litter box, um, a number of, of reasons here, a lot of overlap with the urinary reasons. So again, arthritis would, would be on the list. But thinking now of feces would be, of course, the cat that has a bowel disorder, uh, colitis, where the colon, the, the terminal part of the bowel is inflamed, can be associated with urgency to pass feces. And this cat, again, might just feel, oh, I really have to go and I just can't get to my litter box in time. And that's why the toileting accident has happened. Cats also as part of their communication with other cats can communicate with their feces as well as their urine. So I, I mentioned urine spraying just a moment ago. The term when feces are involved in this sort of communication is middening. So uh, for example, if you have a cat's dense area or there's a little bit of tension between territories, uh, sometimes one cat will very purposefully uh, defecate past feces uh, on the, 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 their territory. Uh, that perhaps the other cat's encroaching on just to say look this is my territory that's my poo that smells of me and you know you you keep off my land so uh, that can be something that uh, perhaps you may notice but tends to be um tends to be outside for many of our cats but if you have i guess a, a very stressed busy household then it can be seen inside as well um, but other reasons are very similar to the, the urine reasons we've already talked about. And in fact, um, any of you that uh, either attended or listened on catch up to the session I, I, where I was talking about idiopathic cystitis a couple of weeks ago, what we sometimes now are calling stress cystitis in cats, will remember this slide or something similar where just really examples of stressful situations for cats uh, times when a cat may behave in a way that perhaps is, you know, is out of their normal behaviour and perhaps less convenient to us, such as urinating outside uh, their litter box. So stress within the household, conflict within the household, new pet, new baby, uh, changes in the owner routine, builders working in the home, all these sorts of things can have an impact. So having identified that there is a problem, um, what's, what are the next steps? Well, I would encourage you to always, with anything involving your cats, always involve your vet clinic, whether or not you think there is an illness behind it. Um, the vet clinic, I think, are the best best place to advise you in terms of, of management and questions and, and uh, any concerns. And uh, so the first step from a vet perspective is always what we call the history, which is information gathering. This is where asking lots of questions to try and understand your cat 
this problem, your household as well, but we'll come on to that in just a moment, to really say, be able to see, are there clues really of medical disorders? That's the number one that uh, a vet will want to understand in a cat that's passing urine outside the litter box, for example. Is it because this cat has lower urinary tract disease, or perhaps this cat does have arthritis or one of the other possibilities that we've already mentioned? So asking about uh, the condition, when it started, uh, whether there are other signs of, of uh, urinary problems, for example, is there blood in the urine, is there uh, any pain or straining associated with passing the urine, all of these provide useful clues for us to start off with. And indeed a behavioural history, really delving into as much detail about the home background of the cat, relationship with people and other animals, cats and, and dogs for example within the home, can also be incredibly useful in terms of building up that picture and trying to work out well you know where where are there some uh, perhaps stressful uh, situations in the household and what can we do to perhaps address those that might have a positive impact uh, on this condition if we think it is a primary primarily behavioral condition for example and again, in the idiopathic cystitis uh, discussion, we talked about in multi-cat households, the usefulness of trying to understand how many social groups there are in the household. So if you have more than one cat, basically trying to understand, are, are they generally friends or are they perhaps tolerating each other, but they're, they're not best buddies? Um, and uh, we talked about some of the affiliative behaviours. These are behaviours that indicate cats are friends with each other. So sharing things, uh, sleeping wrapped up in each other's arms, nose-to-nose uh, -nose greetings, um, the, the sort of chirrup noise, the brrrp cats uh, make when they greet each other if, if they're friends, nose-to-nose uh, -nose greetings, all those sorts of things are signs that the cats are friends they're in the same social group and cats that don't do these or that show signs of conflict are probably in a different social group and often the key thing really to remind ourselves is that um, cats don't often make their distaste of each other very obvious you know if a cat's actually fighting it's really being pushed to the absolute limit but uh, often the signs that they're they're not best friends with another cat are quite subtle so they might just be looking in different directions trying to ignore each other um, time sharing resources so perhaps one cat has the garden in the morning and the other cat will avoid the garden in the morning but it goes in in the afternoon so all these sorts of things are signs of uh, of uh, conflict signs that uh, the cats are in a different group and then what you can do as a carer is write down the names of your cats on a piece of paper and look for um, affiliative and uh, negative uh, signs between the cats uh, by drawing arrows. So I've got the red and the green arrows on this slide. So three cats in the household, Sooty, Twizzle and Hobie. Sooty and Twizzle, they like each other. So they show each other positive behaviours. Sooty is positive to Twizzle, Twizzle's positive to Sooty they are one social group and uh, unfortunately poor little Hobie the newcomer um, he's nobody's friend and and he in fact is likely to be antagonistic to the other two so we have two uh, social groups in this household and we need to therefore make sure that we have enough resources in the household so that there's not competition or one cat being able to prevent access to resources by another 
So some pictorial examples of, of social groups would be these two. So we've got, in fact, Sooty and Hobie on the right hand side. And, and this was one of the very few pictures that I got with them both in the same frame. Um, so although they, they lived together for uh, probably about five years, um, this was, I, I think, one of two pictures I had where the cats were in one shot because generally they, they avoided each other quite happily. There were no fights. There were no growling or grumbling or spitting or hissing. So it was all very sort of amicable uh, separate lives that they lived. Um, but this photo, you can see that they're certainly not together, even though they're in the same frame. Whereas on the left hand side, we've got two cats that live together um, and uh, they've just done a little nose to nose rub and they're just, you know, quite happy in each other's company. Perhaps difficult to, to show in a still photo, but uh, they were they were best buddies. So what can you do as well in terms of providing information that's useful for um, your vet and or a vet behaviourist to be involved with in these sort of cases? Well, of course, it's really important to rule out medical causes of the problem first. But if you are going down a more sort of behavioural route, then one uh, or two of the useful things that can be helpful to do would be firstly to consider drawing a timeline of events so you can perhaps see whether there is any association between uh, toileting accidents let's say and other events in the household so perhaps it's when visitors come to stay or perhaps the problem only started when a new cat joined the household so doing a timeline can be useful and the other thing that can be useful is to draw a schematic map of your house outlining the rooms um, so you can also indicate where resources are which would be food water beds litter trays um, and perhaps uh, hiding places and play areas would be others but the key ones uh, um, in, in terms of uh, this problem would be certainly your litter boxes your food your water and where the cats rest um, and then you can also add on there locations where a toileting accident has been has happened because if there is a recurrent place then that also can assist in terms of, of management or can certainly be useful information for us to know. Vets will definitely want to examine the cat quite rightly to understand well are there medical reasons for the cat having these toileting accidents? Are there painful hip joints for example? Uh, does the bladder feel painful on palpation? Palpation is the sort of medical word for feeling things so um, any palpable abnormalities would be things that we can feel with our hands in the consulting room and of course importantly for cats with um, uh, urinary signs would be to make sure that the cat is able to pass urine that it's not got a blockage which is very much a life-threatening emergency um, but you know we want to build up as many clues as to uh, what's going on and also see whether the cat needs any uh, urgent care whether that's fluid therapy or help with a, a bladder blockage for example And as part of the investigations, then urine samples definitely would be on my list for, for assessment because I'd want to understand, well, how concentrated or dilute that urine sample is and whether there are indicators of urinary tract disease in that sample. For, for example, uh, is there any evidence of a bacterial infection? Are there really large numbers of, of uh, 
crystals and certain types of crystals that make us more worried than others. So all these sort of little clues can help. Um, added to which, depending on the age of the cat and other background information, it might be also recommended to do some blood profiles, older cats in particular. The T4 is a test for thyroid disease, so uh, that can uh, affect behaviour, hence including that on this recommendation. Of course, if the cat's passing faeces outside the litter tray and if they look in any way abnormal, then analysis of a faecal sample could be helpful. And there may be other tests as well. So I've put here imaging, which means x-rays and ultrasound and other as examples of things that depending on what information is gathered so far might be helpful. Um, and it's going to differ between individual cats as to what exactly is, is needed and recommended. Um, but the aim of the test really is to make sure as far as possible that we've understood uh, whether or not there is a medical cause of the problem. Because of course, when it comes to management, if there is a medical cause, um, then that should be treated. And as an example, a cat with arthritis, it may treatment may involve providing a low-sided litter box that is easy for the cat to get in and out of, having multiple litter boxes so that wherever the cat is, it doesn't have to walk too far to find a litter box. Uh, perhaps pain relief if the arthritis is very sore. Um, so those might be the sorts of things that would be recommended specific to that condition. And, and I will be talking more about arthritis in July. There are then, beyond that, there are some general strategies which we'll just finish off with, which really apply to all households. So the first is really making sure that there are adequate resources. Um, not everyone likes having a litter box in their house if the cat previously would choose to go uh, to the toilet out in the garden. But I think offering a litter box is really essential in any cat with a toileting accident to, to give them the very best option and encourage, of course, them to use that rather than whatever other uh, location they're choosing, which undoubtedly is going to be less popular with us. And uh, duvets as a place to urinate from a cat perspective, um, probably at least several of you will have had experience of in your cats. Uh, I have myself and, and uh, anyone who has had this experience will know not only is it of course very unpleasant for the owner but you know it's quite difficult as to solve in terms of washing a duvet, dry cleaning a duvet. So really we want to do everything we can to of course encourage the cat to use what we consider an appropriate toilet. So part of that is to make sure that we offer what I would call optimal toileting facilities. And I'll talk what I mean about that in just a moment. But I think an awful lot can be achieved by offering cats what we currently believe is most likely to fit with their ideal toilet uh, request. There may be other environmental modifications that are helpful in the individual cat. Um, for example, if they're anxious about uh, other cats being able to observe them or other cats coming into the house, then a microchip controlled cat flap, um, choosing a location of the litter box that is more private, um, all these sorts of things can also make a difference. And the key next step is to make sure that any location where the cat has urinated, which is outside a litter box, we do need to clean that area very carefully, very specifically, to remove as far as possible all trace of that urination. Because otherwise, unfortunately, uh, the scent marking proteins within that urine, if they remain within your carpet or your uh, chair for example then every time the cat walks past that in the future it will be reminded that 
this was a toilet and if it was an acceptable toilet yesterday then it may be an acceptable toilet today. So I would suggest a, a twofold approach really to dealing with these soiled areas. Um, firstly would be um, appropriate cleaning and in terms of, of carpet or the sorts of soft furnishings that you can't stick in a washing machine um, this sort of protocol which was first recommended to me by Vicky Halls who's a very very well-known uh, feline behaviorist um, is a good starting point um, and that involves cleaning the area with a biological product which breaks down any proteins within it so hopefully breaks up these scent marking proteins so that they're no longer detectable and then rinse that away and blot it dry um, and some surgical alcohol surgical spirit um, to complete the process and then of course let it dry the next step really would be ideally prevent the cat from access to that point for a period of time um, so that again any memory the cat has of using that location uh, perhaps you know let's say behind the television that was a toilet uh, we don't want them to think that's a toilet in the future so if we can rearrange the furniture in some way to uh, prevent the cat from accessing that area for at least some time you know maybe just a few weeks um, then uh, then we can reshift things back and hopefully the cat is is not going to return to that location location. Some areas are easier than others in terms of preventing access to, of course, doorways are, are a nightmare. And if your carpet is as badly affected as this one, um, then ultimately you may well need to rip it up. Um, I don't have very great experience of every single product that is available to remove the smell of cat urine um, but one that is often seems to get a good um, reputation and good feedback from owners is urine off uh, which is widely available in, in pet stores etc but there will be other products that could well be just as good but that's that's one that I've certainly had feedback on. Moving forwards as well, what else can you do in your household? Well, we talked a little bit about fell away with respect to the, the stressed cats um, in our idiopathic cystitis presentation. So um, there are two pheromone preparations that are available that are really, I think, really exciting, innovative products because these are synthetic versions of what the cat normally produces um, and that have been really scientifically tested to, to a very high degree uh, and found to be helpful in in a number of situations. What we call the, the Feliway Classic is the Feliway that's existed for a long time now and this is a synthetic version of the pheromone that cats have in their cheek glands. So when a cat rubs its face on you or on the wall it's passing these uh, 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 the F3 pheromone and leaving it there and that lets the cat feel yeah this is like a reassuring safe place to be. Um, it's transmitting those sort of uh, nice uh, messages messages to the cat and the synthetic version, the diffuser that you can plug in, um, helps to again pass that signal to, to the household. The newer Feliway is called Feliway Friends and this is designed for households where there is tension between cats within the same household um, and this is a different pheromone that's normally produced by the mammary tissue of the mother cat and uh, it's produced to reduce tension between the kittens as they're feeding in close proximity to each other. So this pheromone which is often called the harmony marker um, can be very helpful, has again been scientifically tested, very clever 
a product and so if you have cats that are struggling to get on with each other as well as obviously making sure you've got plenty of resources doing all you can to uh, really support the fact that they don't like each other this can also help to reduce some some tension but a key thing is you really can't use these products in isolation so if you have uh, tension in your house and you just go and get some fell away and plug it in it very likely won't work and in fact cats that are um, very unhappy will often take to urinating or spraying on the Felloway diffuser as if to say you can't tell me that this is a happy place it certainly isn't so it does need to be done in conjunction with everything else Next on the list, importantly, is our optimal litter tray, our optimal toileting facility. So this is what I mean by this. Firstly, it's choosing a private location where the cat feels safe, but uh, not observed, uh, not blocked in or blocked out by any other cat um, and can just, you know, quietly get on with uh, their business. So not in a thoroughfare, not by a noisy washing machine or a back door or anything like that. So somewhere nice and quiet and private. Also, uh, ideally generous in size. A lot of litter trays that are available commercially are quite small, but ideally cats like to be able to turn around, have a good old dig. And so the, the optimum measurement is suggested to be one and a half times the length of the cat from its nose to the base of its tail. So quite a generous size litter box. One of the problems though with big litter trays is that often the bigger they get, they tend to get deeper as well. And I really don't know why that should be the case, but the downside of course is those arthritic cats where if they have to make a big step to get into a tray, that can be a problem. And then substrate wise, um, we want something ideally fine and sandy. That is, tends to be the cat's preference and certainly comfortable for cats with arthritis to stand on. And I would always recommend a clumping litter because it's much easier to keep the tray clean. But also importantly, you then know what your cat is doing in the tray. Um, and you know, for example, how many times they're passing urine in the day, how big those urine pools are as well. So it, I think it's useful in terms of medical monitoring to have a clumping litter. But main thing for the cat's perspective is easy to keep clean. Ideally we have one tray per cat and one extra but if we do have a multi-cat household then we need as a minimum one tray per social group and one extra. So if you have a lot of cats that can be a lot of litter trays and the key point really as well is that you don't just put all your litter trays in a row because that's effectively one toileting location they need to be in different locations so that it's not possible from one cat for one cat to block access to the litter tray uh, for another cat so that can you know make logistics a little bit more complicated um, I generally uh, suggest an uncovered litter tray, but some cats do prefer a covered tray. Um, if you are using a covered tray, just beware that um, you do obviously need to still closely look at what's been passed in it. Sometimes it can be harder to, of course, just walking past to see if the cat's done anything. Um, and what you don't want is for the tray to become like this bottom left-hand picture where clearly no one has been emptying this tray for uh, some time. And it is uh, absolutely uh, uninviting to a cat. We don't want a tray that looks like this because that would be another very good reason not to use the, the offered toileting facility if it is very dirty. So in general, clumping litter, scoop twice a day, um, empty and clean the litter, litter tray once a week or uh, thereabouts. If the cat is uh, suffering from an illness that makes them pass more urine, then you might feel the need to do that more frequently. 
So in summary, uh, toileting accidents, relatively common problem um, and in older cats, very definitely become more common. So I would uh, often recommend that for cats aged 11 years and over, even if they've always in their life preferred to, to go to the toilet in your garden, really it's kind when they reach that age to have a litter tray available because life can become a little bit more of a struggle. So it's certainly something that you probably will experience at, at some point or other in your cat's life. More often does involve urine than feces. Um, involve your vet clinic as I've talked about. I think they're always, um, they want to know, they want to be involved. Um, it's important also for them to be involved in terms of ruling out medical causes of toileting accidents. Um, and if there, there are behavioural reasons, then as you can see, hopefully there are lots of things you can do that will help to, you know, relatively straightforward things as well that can help to make your, your home more inviting in terms of the appropriate toileting facilities, use of Feliway, making sure that all the cats are happy uh, in terms of their social groups in the household and even with some of the patients that I've seen I'm not primarily a beha behaviorist but I have seen some cats that have had toileting accidents for uh, months sometimes years uh, one cat even it was more than 10 years and actually just some very simple changes in in the household environment um, pretty much resolved the problem overnight so um, it's lots of simple things that you think well maybe that doesn't sound like it would make much of a difference but they honestly can and I think offering that optimal toilet facility is is probably the major one in my mind a final reminder of the um, urinary related resources on the website and, and where you can find those. So obviously we've got previous recordings of other low urinary tract disease uh, cat cafe sessions on the video tutorial page of the website. There's my book on low urinary tract disease. Um, the telephone referral option is always open to you if you have a cat and you're working with your vets but still finding some challenges which are difficult to resolve and bear in mind that is very much an option that you can pursue and there is information on that on the website as well. Definitely drop me a line if you want the slides or mention it in the chat box. Um, and next week's Cat Cafe subject is moving into a, a very um, favourite area of feline medicine for me, which is the senior cat, the older cat. And throughout July, I'll be doing a series of presentations looking at different aspects of care of elderly cats, starting off next week with some general care tips and, and information on what changes as a cat gets older. So thank you very much for choosing to join me and I will now be very very happy to take any questions you might have. Thank you very much.